by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. It says, Jesus told him, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That's called the what? The Great Commission. I saw an article the other day that said like 60% of the church has never even heard of the Great Commission. (laughs) Golly, are you kidding me? We've got to be more effective. He says go into all the world. We have an obligation not to to only reach out to our community with our outreaches and the, the things that we do to tell people about Jesus and meet the needs here in our own community, but we have an obligation to go into all the world and make disciples. It says in Matthew 28, another version of the the Great Commission, to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And so God gives us those kind of opportunities. I remember about 15 years ago, and I was coming down the hall there, and I got to that doorway, and Brother Tom, Brother Tom's back here at the back with the white hair, and I was coming through this door, and he stopped me at the door, and I'll never forget it. He said, Guy, won't you go to the jail with us tonight? Because we've been doing jail ministry on Sunday nights for probably since as long as I've known about this, 25 years or so. And about 15 years ago, he asked me to go. And, you know, my pride says, okay, I'll go. I was willing to do anything, but I I left there thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I got myself into? I'm scared. Them guys are going to riot. There's going to be all this trouble down there. They're not going to listen to me. I'm going to be intimidated. And all these thoughts hit my mind. But I can tell you it was all from the devil trying to stop me because that ministry has impacted my life so many ways. You know when you give to others, when you you give of your time, of yourself, whatever you invest in, it's going to bless you more than it blesses them. We have literally, since in the 15 years I've been going to the jail, seen thousands of souls saved. And I'm not, I'm not just preaching, I'm telling the truth. Thousands of souls saved. When you have been a part of thousands of souls saved, you can't go back the same the way you used to be. I mean, that is what life is all about. I mean, that's a constant uh, source of just reinforcement of why you're here. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it has been a blessing to me, it's been a it's where I learned to preach. It's where I learned that God will always give me what I need, that I can relax. You know, I don't, I don't go down there prepared messages. My best preaching is at the jail when I don't prepare a message. <laughs> Maybe I should do that here. <laughs> I don't know. But, but it literally changed my life. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all it is. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That's pretty simple, isn't it? 
There's people out there that all they need to do is call on the name of the Lord and be saved eternally. But they hadn't heard about him. We used to, that used to not be the case in America, but now we're living in a different America. Where people, if they've heard about him, they've only heard bad things about him, right? So how can they believe in him if they hadn't heard about him? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Say sent. See, you can't get to Uganda, you can't go to United Airlines and say, I'm just going over there to help people, so you're going to let me on for free? No, nope. it doesn't work that way. They st you still have to pay your airfare to get there. You still have to pay for a place to live. You, have to still, you still have the same responsibilities to, to leave your home and to go reach people. And how can people go unless they're sent? And see, God has called the church not only to be goers, like to the jailhouse or to their outreaches or to sidewalk stories or to the nursing homes that we go to locally, but he's called us to be goers and senders. How can anyone preach unless they're sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. We're called to be goers and senders. Peter was just a hard-working man. I don't know how old he was when he had his own little fishing business. He was a commercial fisherman. He'd been fishing all night, hard worker. But he hadn't caught anything. A disappointing night on the lake, and he's there washing his nets in the, in the lake, the lake of Gennesaret. And this huge crowd comes walking down the shoreline, and I can imagine he's thinking, what in the world's going on? I didn't know there was a festival or something going on. He's washing his nets, putting them up. He's tired. He just wants to go home and probably sleep for about seven or eight hours, right? And get ready for tomorrow night's fishing. And so he's getting his boat together, and this guy's walking out front. And he comes up to Peter, and he's got thousands of folks following him. He says, can I use your boat? Now, like us, we see this Jesus, and we say, there must be something to him, or all these people wouldn't be following him, right? He's got some little credentials somehow because all these people are following him. It must be something to him. Could be a cult. I'm wary. I don't know about this. But Pete, but he asked Peter, can I use your boat? And Peter's like, all right. He says, well, can you push me out a little bit? Because, see, Jesus had to get out of the crush of the crowd just to get out. And, and water is a good carrier of sound, so it was a perfect idea to, when you got thousands of people to push a little bit from the shore, let that water carry your sound. You don't, they didn't have microphones back then, right? So he pushes out, and he preaches. Wouldn't you like to hear one of Jesus' sermons? Well, turn to Matthew. You'd probably find a bunch of them. Okay, so... <clears throat> Check Matthew 5 and 6, you know. But anyway, uh, so he preaches this message. I'm sure it's awesome. And Peter's pretty impressed. He's thinking to himself, and that's what, what happened to us, right? We saw all these Jesus followers. Somebody invited us to maybe let him in the boat for a minute and hear one of his sermons. And we heard a little bit about this Jesus, and we're like, that is good. I wish that was true. What if that is true? I'm a, and we're thinking then he dismisses the people, and then he tells Peter, Peter, go out into the deep 
and let your nets down for a catch. Now, Peter's got to think about this one. All right, now, that was a good message. You got a lot of other people following you, but now you're asking for me to go a little bit further. You're asking for me to let my nets down. I mean, I just got through washing my nets. I fished all night, already didn't catch anything. I'm a commercial fisherman. I know what I'm doing. You don't catch the fish out in the deep in the first place, and you don't catch them at daytime. Now you're telling me to do something that's completely contrary to what I know to do. And have you noticed as a Christian that everything Jesus tells us is completely contrary to what the world had taught us to do? Especially in the area of giving, right? The world says, save all you can and hold on to it tight. And Jesus says, give your way out of debt. So everything Jesus says makes us scratch our head until we try it. Well, Peter says, all right. He went out in the deep and he let down a net. If you look at the passage, he, he said, Jesus told him to let down his nets. But Peter says, because you said I'll let down a net. He, he just let down one net. But so many fish jumped in his net that it almost began to sink his boat. He had to call for another boat to come out there. And the amount of fish that he caught in that net almost sank both boats. And, and Peter looked at Jesus and all of a sudden he knew that he was in the presence of holiness. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. And that's the way we feel when we understand the glory of God and the perfectness of God. If we were honest with ourselves, you know, and let that mask down. You know, I can sit up here as pastor, and I'm not afraid to tell you, man, sometimes I come before this altar, and I'm like, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. I, the closer I get, the more I realize how far I am from his standard of holiness, you know, his, his beauty and, and righteousness and justice and who he is. And Peter's like, mm. Peter let Jesus use his boat for a moment. And then he was asked to go a little farther. And he tested Jesus. And he put down a net and he saw the principle of God at work in his life. You'll never be able to outgive God. You need to trust him, even when you don't understand what he's trying to get you to do, when it don't make sense. In this series that we've been preaching this month, it's called So Will I. And I've been each week just taking a, a verse out of this song. It's just so rich. And today's verse is, if you gave your life to love them, so will I, like you would again a hundred billion times. But what, what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. And like Van says, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you become like Jesus and you get a heart that we just can't leave these people in these foreign countries behind. We can't just say, my four and no more. We can't say, a lot of times we think because we can't change everything, well, we're just not going to try to change anything. But that is not the case. That is why God gave us the, the church as a vehicle, so that when we come together and we give our little, it becomes much. 
And like I explained last week, you take American dollar over to Uganda or over to the Philippines or over to Mexico or over uh, Indonesia and all these places where we have our missionaries, it becomes a whole lot all of a sudden. And if you're not familiar with the missionaries that we're supporting, they're on the wall back there. My wife put a a new bulletin board in the hallway. It's called Soul Align, and we're supporting 24 worldwide missionaries. And and, And you just read their stories. You'll understand that these are people that through Pastor Vickers and, and our church and the church in, in Alexander City, the Three Passion Churches, these are people we've decided to support because they're good ground, they're good seed. And 100% of our missions given goes to uh, the different missionaries that we give to. And so, we, you know, when we're, we're doing this, it's not to grow our church. It is, so to speak, but... It's to grow us in our generosity. Amen? So what we're going to do today, if I could get the ushers to come down, we're going to pass out faith pledge cards. This is what we've been talking about. And uh, you don't have to give today, but we want you to fill out this faith pledge card today. And uh, what you're going to do, I'll explain it in more detail coming up, but but, uh, you'll fill out this today and we'll turn it in at the end of the service. Um, if you, if you're interested in becoming a faith pledger this year, raise your hand and and give him half of those and they'll pass you a card. You might want to do just one for your family or you may want to do them individually, but raise your hand if you're interested in getting a faith pledge card. We're going to go through a PowerPoint slideshow that Pastor Paul, my, uh, the previous pastor here at the church, he put together, it's probably about 10 years old. It was, we probably hadn't done a missions pledge in seven or eight years. We've kind of lost sight of that, and, and God has put it back on our hearts, on pa- Pastor Vicker, our senior pastor's heart, to get back more involved. In fact, uh, Passion Church has recently uh, planted two training centers in Uganda with our name on it, Passion Church Training Centers for uh, training up pastors in Uganda. So, so our heart is really, you know, if you see our, our where we're going banner over here, uh, we're going to be a name synonymous with love, hope, purpose, and family, a place to find the real Jesus all over the world. We're going to plant churches wherever God leads by developing passionate people who are true to our core values, who will continually expand and reproduce. This is our DNA. This is who we are. We are uh, going to be a generous and a giving and a life-changing church. What is a faith promise, all right? Over three billion people are without an adequate gospel witness, and Jesus has commanded us to go into all the world. The Great Commission is not optional. It's not something that we have to agree with. It's not just an outreach of the church. It is the supreme objective of the church that demands precedence over every other cause, purpose, or ministry. So this is very vital and important to us as a local body that we do the Great Commission. Next slide. We have only two choices. We must go as missionaries ourselves, like we talked about, go into all the world and preach. Or number two, we must send others, like we talked about in Romans 10. And how will they go and tell them unless someone sends him? So we're all called to be missionaries locally, right? 
in, in Judea and Samaria. But we be, we're, we're goers there, but we're senders to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. Unless some, some of you get a call, to, you know, to maybe go yourselves. So we do this by committed monthly giving. We're committed. Uh, we are familiar with committed monthly giving. We pay bills, right? We got mortgages. We pay things monthly. Many times we buy what we won't pay it over a period of time. We faithfully tithe. Um, we talked about that a little last week, and I'm I'm just going to stop here for a moment. Tithing is the way God supports the local church. Tithing is the principle that 10% of your first fruits, when you get your paycheck, 10% is God's. We don't pay a tithe, really. We say, you know, we, we term it like that. You need to pay your tithe. But really what you're doing is returning your tithe because God says the tithe is mine. The first fruits are mine, not the last fruits, something you saved till the end, you know, a bunch of rotten fruit. No, the first fruit. And so the first fruit is mine. And so I'm just going to say this. I'm going to throw this out there. You do what you want to. But if you haven't gotten to the place in your Christian maturity that you're a tither, then I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't uh, give to the missions pledge. I just wouldn't because you can't give something that you've stolen. Then Malachi says, will a man rob God? How have you robbed me? In tithes and in offerings. So the, the tenth belongs to God. If you're not giving that, then I would, I would encourage you to take everything I'm saying today and just turn it around and say, I need to, to be generous and give God back what is his. I need to start there. I need to work up the faith to be a tither. That's when the, open, the windows of heaven are open. That's when you become a giver. Anything beyond your tithe is offerings. Does that make sense? But you can't really, I don't, I don't know how God sees that when you're trying to give offerings out of his 10%. You're giving his money. So does that make sense to everybody? And the church needs the tithes that's to your local storehouse. That's how we keep the lights on here, right? That's how we're able to, to fund what we're doing locally. But what we're talking about in a, a missions faith pledge is beyond your tithe. It's where you place in your offerings. It's, it's where you choose. Now, offerings, is, the tithe is, doesn't give you a choice. The tithe says the tithe goes into the storehouse. God commands it. But beyond the tithe, God says you do what you want to with your money. And you get, to, you get the choice to, to, to plant that seed wherever you want to. But we're saying the Great Commission is a great place to start planting in God's work around the world. Van, am I doing okay explaining this? I'm, I'm just trying to be honest. Okay. So, faith promising is not your tithe. Your tithe is God's portion of what he has already provided for you. It's not just a pledge. When you, when you fill out how much you pledge to give monthly or weekly or however you want to do it to missions, um, the church is not going to, we're going to total it all up so we, we can have an idea of what our budget will be, how, how much we're going to tell our missionaries that, to be, expect or whatever, or how, we'll know how, to, how much we can expect each month. But we're not going to contact you and say, you didn't pay your pledge this month. We're not going to tell anybody what you pledged, and we're not going to 
check up on you to see if you're pledging. This is not between us and you. This is between you and God. Like I said, we're not getting it. We're, we're collecting it as an offering to missionaries, all right? Paul wrote about the Macedonian Christians. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, 2 Corinthians 8, 3. Next slide. This verse talks about two different kinds of giving, committed giving. Uh, budgeted giving is according to your ability. But a faith pledge promise is that kind of beyond my ability. That means you're stepping out on a limb. You know, there's that monthly giving that you, I, I can do that. I'm, I'm going to budget for this, and, and I have the extra. It's sort of like giving out of your overflow. But a faith pledge, what, what we're doing here is trying to get you to tap in to the supply that God has set aside for missions, for his work around the world, to, to believe God to give bigger than you could give in your own natural. All right? Faith lifts us up to a higher level, a new experience in giving. It's given beyond your ability. God using you to tap into that money, like I said, that's reserved for the harvest. Next slide. We use our faith all the time. As Christians, we believe God for our healing. We believe God for his favor, increase, blessing on our family. We use our faith for the things that are important to us. So why not use our faith to believe God that I'm going to be more generous and a bigger giver and, and do more in the world of, of missions this year? Faith, promise, and give us use our faith to reach those who don't know Jesus. Next slide. What is a faith promise? It's an act of covenant. It's between you and God. It's a spiritual agreement that you're going to give monthly during the next year. It's your total reliance upon God for that Divine provision. You're saying, God, I'm going to step out on a limb and I'm going to believe that you can supply this much per month for me to be able to give into missions. Now, some of us, would, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to believe God for a million dollars a month. Well, don't step out beyond where your faith is. That's presumption. That's not faith. So, so what can you really believe God for? All right, next slide. Is your faith really, your promise really made in faith? If it is a mount that you can afford to give, it doesn't require much faith. If it's a mount that you have promised, that it, it isn't a challenge to you. It's not stretching your faith. Next slide. So why do we fill out these faith promise cards? The total amount of faith promises received provides a guideline, like I said, for our church missions budget. So we want to know what we can reasonably expect will be coming in in case um, this missionary has an emergency over here or dire need over here or this uh, the whole village is dying over here for lack of provision. Then we can, we can know next month we have some and we can give big here, all right? How do I give my faith promises? Most will give on mission Sundays. As you've if you've been coming here any time, you know our first Sunday of the month is always Mission Sunday. But you can give any week that you want to. You can give however you want to. If, if your salary comes in at a certain time, you know what your faith pledge is. So what you'll just do is you'll just mark it on your envelope when you're giving your regular envelope. Uh, this much is my tithe, and here's my $50 this month for 
missions given or whatever your, your amount is. Next slide. How long does it last? One year. And then hopefully next year we'll do another missions pledge because we're going we're gonna to get back serious about our missions given. Generosity is not just an act. It is a just response. God gave us his very best. Jesus gave us his all. Shouldn't we in turn give our very best? Uh, that slide I debated on whether to keep it in there. It sounds like I'm making a pull for money. Next one. But, I mean, how do you deny it? Calvary demands our best, not our leftovers. And so it just needs to be said, I guess. Next slide. So how much should my faith promise be? I don't know. You may not know. But God knows. So why don't we just ask God? Active faith will unlock the resources needed to complete your commitment. 2 Corinthians 9 says, And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you always have enough of everything and may provide an abundance in every good work. He wants to get you the money so that he can get it through you. He's not going to be the problem in the equation. He's wanting to, for us to increase our faith. Just like we believe for our family each week in our prayers, we need to be praying for our missions given. It's going to make us mission-minded. It's, it's just going to make you feel good that you're making a difference all over the world. It's going to keep you active in your faith. Here are some points to remember. God desires you as a channel of blessing. The faith promise is given beyond your ability and believing that God will provide. You're saying, well, what if, what if I provided, what if I've pledged hundred dollars a month and I get to the mission Sunday and I don't have that hundred dollars? You don't have it. You don't give it. But I'm saying, if you'll believe God and you'll keep it before you, there's very little chance of that happening. All right, that's what I'm saying. We're coming up in our faith about giving. Why do I keep getting off script, Angie? I'm gonna. I'm probably going to kick myself after I say all these things because I don't talk about giving that much. That's the problem. We don't have a lot of faith in the area of giving because we don't talk about giving as, as much as we should. And I just said it. So, but, but we have to come up in this area. We have to. To survive as a church, we have to. We have to come up in our ability to get outside of ourselves and, and give. Let's obey God. Together we can touch the world if we do our part. All right, so there was the PowerPoint presentation. First time I've ever done that and probably the last time. All right. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for the enduring that with me. But I remember when, when we first did a faith pledge under Pastor Paul, he showed a video, that one or one similar to it, and it just, you know, a slide just helps you get the main points out. And it, and it makes an impression on you to be able to see the words yourself. And uh, it encouraged us in the area of missions given. Chip Ingram, I've been quoting him all month because I've been reading some of his work. He says, increasing levels of generosity brings increasing levels of reward and blessing. So the more you give the more you can expect to get in return. For example, where is Jesus now? Some of you are saying in your heart, you know, but it's the Holy Spirit in your heart, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus' Spirit, so yes, that's correct. But Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. 
high and lifted up. And the reason he sits there is because he gave more than anybody else. Because he was willing to die a criminal's death on our cross. Because he was willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth. He came from glory, but he gave all. Because he was willing to give more, then God has highly exalted him. And given him a name above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because he was willing to give. He was exalted. And that's the principle I want you to understand. God measures our generosity not by, by the size of our check, but by the size of our sacrifice. You remember the woman that came up there with a little old woman with two mites. She put it in the offering plate. And there have been guys coming up there before her giving thousands of dollars, you know. And Jesus, he didn't bat an eye over them. But the woman gave two mites. And he said, I tell you, she's given more than them all. Because he was measuring it, her giving by how much it cost her personally. Not by how much they gave. And so God never judges your giving against someone else. He judges it by the amount of sacrifice that it cost you personally. And that's the reason for the tithe is a 10%. Because your 10% is going to be different than someone else's 10%. To make a difference, you have to be different. What if Mary would have refused God? She says, well, all the other teenage girls, they're not having God's babies. What if she refused to be different than all the other teenagers? What if her fiancé, Joseph, would have just went with the customs of the time? Well, she's pregnant with somebody else's baby. I'm going to put her away. What if he put her away instead of putting away his pride? Instead of listening to the Holy Spirit? then we wouldn't be talking about either one of them right here today, would we? It's because they were willing to be different that they made a difference. What if Paul, on the road to Damascus, when he got knocked off his horse, what if he had just got back up on his horse blind and said, take me on to Damascus, I got things to do? No. When he had an encounter with God, it changed Paul forever. He decided, I'm going to be different from this encounter, from this point forward. What if Matthew, when he was sitting at the tax collector's booth, and Jesus said, come follow me. What if he didn't get up? Well, hold on, Jesus. I got 401K invested in this job. They got benefits. I'm getting, I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going to get back with you, though. I'll catch up with you later, Jesus. What if John Mark? When he went on, after he went on the missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, if you remember John Mark, he was the kid. It was his first missionary journey. He was so zealous to do God's work, you know. So he went on a missionary. He thought he was going to be a missionary. And he went on the trip, and he got past a couple of cities, and he saw the persecution, how hard it was to be a missionary. And he got scared, and he went back home. Now, what if he let that one failure define his life? What if he let Paul define his life? Let he, Paul was saying, I don't want that kid with me next time. 
And Paul's the one who wrote the New Testament. You talk about we all in this boat together. Paul wrote the New Te- most of the New Testament. And he, was, he was, didn't like this kid because he deserted him. Just because you made some mistakes and, you, and you've tried some Christian things in the past and they didn't work, don't give up. You've got to learn that we are going to be different. What if that woman at the well that Jesus met in John chapter 4, you know, the sassy woman? Had something smart to say to everything, Jesus. What if she just would have walked away sassy? But she didn't just walk away sassy. When she enc- when you encounter Jesus, how do you walk away the same that you did before? How do you? You're telling me you know Jesus, but you ain't different than you were before. She came there with the water jug. That was her purpose in life, to get this water. She left the water jug, and she went and told the city about Jesus. That's how what an impact he made in 10 minutes of conversation with Jesus. She was different after the encounter. What if the 12, what if they had walked away? You know, Jesus preached a message so hard. He, he preached a message about spiritual things, and those with, with only carnal minds, they couldn't grasp it. They'd been walking with Jesus. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What the world? This is too hard, man. We thought he might be the Messiah, but he's done gone off the deep edge. And they left. And Jesus looked at the other 12 and said, Will y'all go too? Peter said, Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Even if we don't understand it all yet, we know that we ain't going back. You get to a place in Jesus, you ain't going back. You shouldn't. If they, what if they had refused to be martyred for Christ? Do you know it says that after Jesus was ascended, they developed the early church, that I think James was the first one to be beheaded and others. That the legends have it that they all were martyred for Christ in the end, except maybe John, but, but maybe him too. I'm not sure. But what if, what if the disciples weren't willing to be martyred for Christ? How would that affect the credence that we lend to their testimony today? It's because we see disciples who saw him before he died and saw him resurrected and then were willing themselves to die that we know it's the truth. If they weren't willing to die, then we'd say, well, it was just a lie. It was a hoax. He didn't really raise from the dead because nobody's going to give their life for a lie. But these men were willing to give their life. And people need to see our lives. And say, man, the, he wouldn't be doing that. He wouldn't be giving of himself. He wouldn't be living his life this way if Jesus wasn't real. And when we say we believe in Christ but we live like the world, what is that saying? Peter. It was a progression. He let Jesus use his boat. He gave Jesus an opportunity to speak into his life. What you got there? Let me, let me listen. Then he was asked to take it a step forward, to 
come outside of his comfort zone and to act. And he let him use his nets and he was blessed. Put up Luke 5, 11 in the New King James. You got that? This is after the fish were about to sink the boats. It says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. That's amazing. Who got all the fish? I don't care. I'm following Jesus. What? You're a fisherman. This, is, this has been your substance. This has been your life for your whole life. And now you have this miracle catch that would make you a rich man and you get your boat back to shore and you leave it and you follow this man? They forsook all and followed him. I'm telling you, once you give Jesus, you learn to trust Jesus and you learn to give to Jesus, man. All this other stuff doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I'm just, I forsake all. Paul says, I count it all dung compared with the excellency of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, just to know him. Yeah, I want to know the power of his resurrection, but even the fellowship of his sufferings is so much greater than anything I knew in the world before. Man, I still feel that way. I'm preaching myself so happy. He let him use his boats. He let him use his nets. Then he began to let him use his life. And then, legend has it that they crucified Peter. But Peter says, I'm not willing to die in the same manner as my Lord Jesus Christ. So he had him crucify him upside down. Even his death, he wanted to glorify Jesus. The more you know him, the more you want to be like him, the more you want to give. You just want to give everything. You just want to give your all. You want to give your best. Calvary <laughs> demands our best. Got a question. What were you before Jesus? You don't have to say out loud. Some of you may not know Jesus yet. But many of you in here today, if you were to think back, clearly, you'd remember what a wreck you were. You say, well, I'm still in, in the process. We all are. But I ain't where I used to be. <laughs> Imagine what we can end up if we begin to trust Jesus more than we do today. If we, we continue that, that progression like Peter I give him my boat for a moment. I give him my nets. I trust him. I give him my life. I'm even willing to give him my death. Imagine what will be said about you in the annals of heaven when it's all said and done in the end. And, and what little you think, well, I don't have anything to give. That's what the woman with two mites, she was probably embarrassed to come up there. And Jesus called her out. Are you kidding me? This is, this is my girl. Are you kidding me? She gave more than all of y'all. She gave him everything she had. Your little bit 
Whatever your little bit in God's hands will always be more than enough. There was 5,000 men, not counting women and children. They were out in the wilderness listening to Jesus preach, and they were about to starve to death. And Jesus says, what do we have? Well, one little boy was smart enough to bring two fish and a couple of loaves. But what is that among so many? And that's the way we feel. There's so many lost people. What can I do? The little boy just had his little, I'm just going to keep mine. It ain't going to make no difference. But you put it in the hands of Jesus. He blesses it, and it fed the multitudes. It not only fed them, but there was 12 baskets full taken up of scraps. Left over. More than enough. Because one little boy was willing to give his sack lunch. Everybody ate. To get different, you got to give different. You got to be a different thinker. Mary, because she was, wasn't going to be like the other teenagers, she became the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, instead of being known as Saul the persecutor, became known as Paul the apostle. Matthew's no longer IRS agent, but he wrote one of the gospels and he sits on the board in heaven. And what's the final word on John Mark? Cowardly? No. Paul said he's profitable to the ministry in the end. What about the sassy Sally at the well? No, she's a city-saving saint now. These are just people who found a way, a better way for their life to be spent. To spend their time, their resources, their efforts. When it's all said and done, like that video we watched, what will you be remembered for? The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, that he will gladly be he will gladly spend and be spent for others. He knew what it was like to be rich, to be prestigious. He was a Pharisee. He knew what it was like to people to look up to him. He said, I count it all dumb. It's nothing to me now. What was dear to me before is nothing to me now, just so that I may know Christ and be a part of what he's doing. Maybe that's truly the way for all of us to live. It's just a, a shift of understanding what we're called to do. We're called to spend and to be spent for others. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.